welcome to the Monday, February 11th edition of Snoozecast, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the biggest stories of the week while bringing in new perspectives from the reporters who wrote them. I'm Campus News Editor Mila Murray. And I'm East Lansing City Reporter Evan Jones. This episode, will break down former MSU President Luanna K. Simon's first day of preliminary hearings, the men's basketball team completing its last seven games of its regular season, and Governor Gretchen Whitmer's first month in office. From Michigan State's independent student voice, this is Snoozecast. Former MSU President Luanna K. Simon faces two felonies and two misdemeanors for lying to investigators about her knowledge of ex-MSU Dr. Larry Nasser's sexual abuse. Tuesday, February 5th, was the first day of the expected four-day preliminary hearings for Simon. The attorneys on both sides of the case gave opening statements and a witness gave testimony. Men's basketball beat reporter Chase Michelson took on court coverage for Simon's hearing this week. How are you doing, Chase? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So this was your first time covering court. What was the experience like and what was the feeling in the room? Well, it was a very tense feeling because the witness, we weren't sure who it was going to be until just about an hour before. And then we were told it was going to be Amanda Tomashaw, who was a um, survivor of Larry Nassar's abuse. And as part of her testimony, she recounted um, that abuse, which was obviously very difficult to hear. And maybe for a more experienced court reporter that was there last year during the sentencing hearings that wouldn't be much but for me it was a lot um, to hear and she was thought out in what she was saying she knew what she was going to say she was very sort of dignified um, in how she was talking about it and that was a pretty powerful um, experience what was noteworthy from the hearing well besides thomas shaw's testimony the the hearing was essentially the two attorneys both made opening statements so um First, the prosecution, then the defense, and the prosecution laid out sort of a, a theory of the case where um, former President Simon had knowledge of um, Dr. Nasser's abuse in 2014 and essentially covered it up because she was concerned that the brand of MSU was more important than survivors, right? And then the defense rather aggressively argued that that was not the case and that certain witnesses that are expected to be called when the hearing resumes in April will be lying, basically, saying that they have evidence that they have already said that these meetings did not happen. So Paulette Granberry-Russell was an advisor to the president at the time, and she is expected to testify for the prosecution. Um, And the defense believes that essentially what she's going to say is not true, and that's uh, sort of the crux of their argument. Uh, politics have been brought up in the other cases in the Attorney General's investigation into MSU. In the case of Kathy Klages, the former MSU gymnastics coach facing similar charges to Simon, one of her attorneys said former Attorney General and gubernatorial candidate Bill Schuette was charging Klages just to look good in the midterms. Uh, What is the impact of politicizing these cases? Well, so the, the defense's theory is sort of that because um, Bill Schuette at the time, who was, like you said, the attorney general and was running for governor, was running against a woman, Gretchen Whitmer, obviously, who is one and is now the governor. And so the idea was because of the climate at the time and sort of the Me Too movement and things that were sort of um, moving in a direction that the defense felt was sort of like a pro-woman, um, like a woman's movement, um, that 
Shooty wanted to sort of make women in general look bad. And a way to do that was to um, sort of take down Luanna Simon, who was at the time sort of one of the most respected um, women in the state of Michigan. So that was the idea. And that, that, so that's a defensive theory. Well, all right. Thanks for coming in today, Chase. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. As the men's basketball team finishes its last seven games of the regular season, Saturday's 79-55 win against the Minnesota Golden Gophers may have calmed some fans following several upsets in late January and early February. The then ninth-ranked Spartans lost in upset fashion to Illinois on the road February 5th, marking the team's third loss in a row. Now some fans are wondering what is going on with this team and what this record means for the regular season and the NCAA tournament in March. Men's basketball reporter Casey Harrison has been covering the team for three seasons and has some insight on what these losses mean for the season and how they compare to the past. Hi, Casey. Hi, Mila. Thanks for having me. So talk us through the season and what happened in the three straight losses. Yeah, so the the three straight losses came against um, Purdue on the road, Indiana at the Breslin Center, and then Illinois at Illinois. And so the biggest thing that MSU coach Tom Izzo has been preaching is that the team had gotten, you know, quote, fat and sassy, in the sense that they weren't sticking to the pillars of what Michigan State basketball stands for, which is defend, rebound, run. Um, You know, in the games leading up to the losing streak, they were averaging um, 40.4 rebounds per game. During that streak, it dropped to 31.7, and Rebounding is so instrumental to how Michigan State runs its offense. You know, they run a very fast-paced offense, um, very reliant on the fast break and transition. You know, I also think that the, the number one thing is that they were learning to play without Josh Langford, who was ruled out for the rest of the season with a stress reaction in his left ankle. During that three-game stretch, they were learning to play without him. Um, there was sort of a morale hit in learning that he would be out for the rest of the year. They were kind of expecting him back. And, um, you know, they were also looking at Cassius Winston, who was averaging, you know, nearly 37 minutes a game. And when you're, you know, a game that is only 40 minutes long, it's a pretty unsustainable rate. They were, on a, they were on a crash course, and it was all just sort of things that came together all at the same time. What was different about Saturday's game against Minnesota? You know, I talked to Xavier Tillman after the game, and it was exactly, you know, as he said it, what the doctor ordered. And that, you know, the things that had been going wrong, they did exactly the opposite of it. Uh, Cassius Winston only played 24 minutes. Uh, Matt McQuaid stepped up. He had 18 points. He's been, you know, the main bef- beneficiary um, to, to step up while Josh Langford has been out. And uh, the team rebounded really well. They out-rebounded Minnesota by five, um, you know, kind of headlined by Nick Ward, who led the team with a game-high 22 points and nine rebounds. What do the Spartans need to work on to have a successful season? They really need to stick to uh, that defend-rebound-run mentality. Um, and they really need Nick Ward, Kenny Goins, um, Xavier Tillman, the forwards to step up and, and be the rebounding team that they were earlier in the season um, to, to really help out Cassius Winston. And, you know, this team has already taken a big hit with Langford out. Um, they can't afford another big injury, so staying healthy is going to be a really big key going forward. In order for the team to, to run the way that it should, uh, you know, rebounding has to be the foundation for their transition offense. Um, and I think the last thing is to just make sure that uh, 
You know, they make it out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, you know, going back to my freshman year, they lost in the first round to uh, Middle Tennessee State. I'm sure that haunts a lot of Spartan fans. Um, then they had a second game exit against Kansas the following year. Last year it was against Syracuse. Um, so I, I think a lot of fans are just calling on Izzo to, to make it to the Sweet 16 and beyond because he hasn't been able to do that since the 14-15 season. And as a coach that's, you know, built such a historic program, gotten to the national championship game, has gone to so many Final Fours, um, I think fans are looking to get back to that. And the Spartans will face the Wisconsin Badgers on Tuesday in Madison. Thanks for coming in, Casey. Thanks, Mila. Governor Gretchen Whitmer is now in her second month as Michigan's top elected official, and Capitol reporter S.F. McGlone has been keeping up with her actions so far in office. S.F., what are some of the most important actions Whitmer has taken thus far? Hi, Evan. Well, a lot of her most important actions have actually come down to executive orders and executive directives. The biggest among them are uh, restructuring the Department of Environmental Quality, However, that might be nixed, which we'll uh, discuss a little bit later on. She's also strengthening uh, the Freedom of Information Act in Michigan, and she joined, she had Michigan join, I should say, the U.S. Climate Alliance. The Republican-controlled state legislature rejected an executive order by Whitmer restructuring the Department of Environmental Quality last week. Why did they decide to do that, and what actions might Whitmer take next? Well, so far, uh, just the state house rejected the executive order. It's going to go to the Senate uh, sometime this week. I'm not sure when, but they are in session today on Monday. They decided to do that uh, primarily because of party lines. Um, this it would be uh, considerable government spending, uh, getting the uh, DEQ restructured in such a way that we would have new liaison offices and uh, special attention uh, given to the Great Lakes uh, as well. Actions Whitmer might take, she could go for a bipartisan law, um, start working on that, start working on a bill that uh, Republicans might agree to, um, to restructure the Department of Environmental Quality. Whitmer also released an executive order about FOIA. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what's going on? It was actually an executive directive. So right now, um, FOIA in Michigan is, kind, is pretty fickle, I would say. Uh, it is the, as Whitmer put it, it is the rule rather than the exception that a FOIA is done in the uh, five business days that it's required to uh, get back to people with, with when they request information from the government. Uh, what this directive does is encourage uh, the state legislature to, you know, meet deadlines and uh, she also wants to put more money into getting the Freedom of Information Act uh, strengthened in the state legislature. Whitmer will also give her first State of the State address on Tuesday. What topics do you expect her to address in her speech? I expect her to give a summary of her first month and a half in office. The biggest parts of it were executive directive ads and, direct and executive orders. She's done a lot when it comes to the rights of uh, states, the state workers. She has protected LGBT uh, employees in state offices, among other things. Whitmer has also joined with uh, Governors Cuomo and Governor Inslee to protect federal workers in their respective states. Uh, this was in the middle of the government shutdown. Basically, the, the three governors demanded action from the Department of Labor 
so that the uh, federal workers in their states would be, uh, would be able to get unemployment benefits during government shutdown. Uh, that was a major thing that happened. Um, it has, nothing has been necessarily done yet because we are facing another federal government shutdown probably after the 15th of February. Um, but I assume that that's going to be moving forward and she's probably going to talk about it at her State of the State address. Well, I'm glad you'll be keeping up with that. Thank you for coming in today, Essa. Thank you so much. A look ahead to this week's news. Last week, the State News reported that in creating a new healing assistance fund for survivors of Larry Nasser, members of the Board of Trustees are seeking input from the Relationship Violence and Sexual Misconduct Expert Advisory Work Group. The new fund will replace the one closed in December when former Interim President John Angler moved forward with the decision against the work group's recommendation. They have been advising the Board with their research on trauma and treatment for sexual assault survivors. Trustee Kelly Tebate said the board also wants to make sure the fund is protected so a president can't close it at any time, and that a majority vote is required to close it for any reason. Chair of the Board of Trustees Diane Byram said an update on the Healing Fund will be on the agenda for the February 15th board meeting. Thanks for listening to Snoozecast, where the state news takes an in-depth look into the biggest stories while bringing new perspectives from the reporters who wrote them. You can find us on Twitter at TSNCasts and at BS News, on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash state news, and always online at statenews.com. I'm East Lansing City reporter Evan Jones. And I'm Campus News Editor Mila Murray. Listen next week for more insight into our biggest stories. <laughs>